This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here, coming to you from outside at beautiful Griffith Observatory here in Los Angeles. I wanted to wish you all a happy holiday season. I am going to be taking a couple weeks off upcoming to enjoy myself, live my life, and play some best of the year episodes before we ride on into 2020. But today's episode is brand new. It is a chat with writer and all-around business person, Amy Spaulding. You'll hear more in a moment. I really loved this chat, and I hope that y'all continue to join me in the new year. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Will you introduce yourself? I always have guests introduce themselves. Yes, I'm Amy Spaulding. I am a writer, performer, activist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying activist. I've got several of the pins that you're wearing. Which right ones? Now. I can't wait to hear. It's the San Junipero one. Great one. And then I also have the one that's um, the Six Feet Under. Oh, the hearse. hearse. And then I also have... Um, I've also got the... I think I've also got the mixed emotions. Anyway, this is just the part of the podcast where I point at things you're wearing. I like having a visual thing on an audio show. The audience can imagine what I'm talking about. Um, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How yes. are you? Uh, I feel like slightly delirious. I do. I feel slightly delirious. I can't tell what I'm supposed to do with myself right now. It's like the mid, it's that section between the holidays where you yes. don't know if you're off or on. I don't know if I, are we done? I know. Or are we not done? So I feel strange. Or do we just not stop and we go right through? We go straight through yeah. and take no time. One of my day jobs in entertainment, so it's FYC season. Yes. Actually, would you talk to me about your day job also? Is yes. that also on the table? Yes, it is. It's technically, I mean, we don't know each other, know each other, yeah. but it's how we've come in contact exactly. before. Yes. Yeah. Tell I work, us a little bit about that. I work at an ad agency. I do media planning, which is like the Excel spreadsheet part of marketing. So not the- Oh, like, really? Not like the Don Draper <laughs> part. <laughs> It's was this name Harry Crane? That was the madman. Uh-huh. That's my madman person. Um, so it's a lot of hey, you should run ads on this place, or you should run ads on this place. I run the digital department, so I'm the one who says like put this much money on Facebook, be on Fandango. But also, I get queer movies, and I get to say you should run ads on Cameron's podcast. That is so nice of you because you ran ads. Sorry, my headphones are doing something terrible. Let Do me. You, yeah, fee- feel free to. Is that better? That was literally it. Okay. So much stress for nothing. That was that. (laughs) So (laughs) you are delightful already. Um, This is great. I uh, like compliments. Yes. I, uh, yeah, you, you helped get some ads for Call Me By Your Name on on our show. It's my favorite movie I ever got to market, which was really cool. That is actually really cool. Well, it was a great, first of all, I just loved it. I got to see it super early and that was exciting because, you know, sometimes you get to see those things and like know about it as everyone else is discovering. And I, I love that feeling. And working in indie film, we don't always get real budgets. We get like, I have a dollar. Could you put this on television? We're like, no, right. not for a dollar. Right. So 
we actually had a budget for this and critics liked it and people liked it. And like every week we just like got to do more fun stuff. And it was a really, it was a really fun experience, but it's also nice for me because, you know, they're like, well, gay men like this movie. Where should we be? I'm like, let's, let's pull this out a bit. Let's talk about the queer community and where they actually are getting media and where you can reach people. I mean, that's, that is exactly what I was going to say is, you know, I loved, um, you actually wrote me and said, you know, here's who I am in my past. And then I have like this new book coming out. And I, first of all, great. Cause I do, <laughs> when people pitch themselves, I do read and, and, and think like, yeah, I think this is a great fit. And I love, um, you know, specifically not just that you have this awesome creative work that you do, but also I don't think we've had anybody here who works. Um, I don't think because I I really yeah. feel like I would have listened to that episode yeah, like and, at least once you know, again, and maybe known that person. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, so it feels like this is one of those fields where, um, you know, especially right now when it feels like for the first time ever, queer folks are being considered as having like any money to spend at all, and like, like a cool audience. Like, yeah. oh, the queer audience likes right. it. We're in. Yes. Yeah, it's been it's been nice because I. I Yes, that's absolutely true. But I think a lot of people, a lot of straight people are like, all right, so what do what are gay people like? And a lot of times they're like, well, there's those papers in West Hollywood. That's how you get the gay audience. I'm like, how old do you think the gay audience is? And stop, yes. stop <laughs> saying gay, it's queer. So yeah. like, I'm always, I know a lot of people in my office find me very exhausting and a killjoy because I'll just be like, actually, we don't, we don't use that word anymore. I think we should use this word instead. But also, then I feel like we're in the right places when we advertise. Yes. And the audience benefits, the client benefits, the film right. benefits, all that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was what I was thinking too. Was that you know this is an area where it matters so much. Once so once we're like emerging as this potentially a viable community, you know, yeah. like, like for other Isn't people. Isn't it nice to feel yeah. like in your middle age <laughs> like that someone's like, oh, do you count now? Might be part of a potentially viable community. And so, you know, it does matter who's making the decisions about what money to spend and all that. And, um, you know, I think uh, it is, I, I also, I hear you saying that word killjoy and like, I fucking know that experience, you know? I mean, I certainly know that in my own career when you're the person who has the right word to say. And you're like, oh, do I bring the room down and make everyone give me that look? But like, yes, you have to be. You're also not even actually bringing the room down. No. It's It's really the, you know, the thing that you, the way you ended what you just said is really how I think we need to shift our own minds and other, but, but further than, much more than us, other people need to shift their minds, which is, you know, this is not, these are not like, this is not stuff that slows us down. Right. This is stuff that actually makes a better product. This is stuff that makes a, a more successful Absolutely. ad campaign. This is stuff that makes you like a better doctor. You know, I feel like it's yes. like this, like, oh, I'm exhausted by all this correction. It's like, no, this is like, you're going to make... This will be a more successful movie, you know, yes, if, absolutely. if you have it aimed, if the money's aimed in the right place. And also then like the next thing comes in and I'm not sitting in the room. Someone else is like, oh, wait, I think we did these podcasts. Like, here's a thing I can say. Because so, I see like, sure. you know, I see like my straight coworkers sometimes being like, oh, yeah, we could do that. I'm like, that's because I said it. But I'm happy. <laughs> like, I want it just yeah. to be a thing. And also, I feel like I'm fortunate, as I'm sure you feel. I'm at the position in my life where I could be the person in the room to make some noise. Right. And not like an assistant sitting in the corner who's like, oh, I could get yelled at or fired for like being right. too annoying you know I, that's not going to happen to me so i might as well use it to be 
you know, even if I annoy someone for like a moment. <laughs> so where did, when you were thinking about, you know, and I, I so appreciate you, you know, considering us and this podcast, but when you were thinking about where, where, where are queer people right now, what do you, what do you say at work? Well, like to your one thing I say about ev- literally every marginalized group is, I mean, they're on the, all the places. Everyone's on. it's this yeah. weird thing of like, where do black people internet? I'm like, well, Facebook, and yeah. you know, it's wherever, <laughs> like wherever you. It's not some weird black internet. That, that is also so funny because it's one of those situations where because social media is self-selecting, you know, like we yes. you choose who you follow. That I think it's very easy. You know, if you're a white person, say, hypothetically, perhaps, if anybody was, um, to like, fo- you know, opt into, you follow this, this number of people, and it does seem like a very white place. Yes. But you forget that you are actually the person creating in control this, of Yes. That. Yes. So, yeah, I, I push a lot more for, well, let's just use, I mean, I'll get into like real gross digital marketing stuff of just like, let's just do data targeting to find these people wherever they're spending time. Right. And then I think there's certain places you want to give someone a heads up. Like I worked on this movie. I think we we also advertise on this podcast. This is not just, <laughs> this feels like a weird thing of like, well, here's all the things I advertised, but these are old movies. Whatever. Now. It's so, interesting also. Oh, good. I'm glad. I, think. Um, I worked on a film called Hearts Beat Loud, which- Yes. We advertised on this podcast and and we didn't even know you were doing a Q&A or something. And then it yeah, was like this magical experience of, but that was like, that movie did not seem queer on its surface. It was like a father-daughter movie. And those can be tricky because you want to give, I'm like, we need to give people a heads up and we need to do it in a way that feels legit. And to me, like being on your podcast was like, well, this is a real place where the community is spending time. So for for to hear your voice reading the copy to talk about this film, it's like, we know what we're talking about. We know where the community is actually going versus just like, I don't know, like, hey, queer people, here's a movie. Here's actually, a- I also really appreciate what you're saying about giving people a heads up because I did feel like, you know, the way that that movie was, um, yeah, the way that it was packaged, which was based on the central relationship is a father-daughter relationship. I actually went to, I hosted that screening because I know the director. Oh, okay. Um, and I didn't know going in that it was queer. Like, I just Me didn't even either. know that. I was in my conference room at work screening it, and I was like, I've got other stuff to do. Wait, yeah. are those girls going to kiss? Never yeah, mind. I'm exactly. watching this. Yeah, so it was, like, such a pleasant experience watching it. And then um, the cast that was there, they were so, you know, kind and gracious. And it was such a nice, um, it was such a nice find. And, you know, it, it does feel like, for me, as a queer person, like, I seek out queer movies. Yes. Like, above and beyond but anything else. But there's so much content right now. If sometimes if someone doesn't give me a little... Like, I remember yes. when, when One Day at a Time, the reboot came out, I kept getting texts from friends that are like, have you watched it yet? Have you? And I'm like, why is everyone bothering me about this? And then I watched it. I was like, oh, it's queer. Yeah, it is. I think it's really important to have the heads up. I totally agree. Yeah. So if I can do that, if I can do that in my job and also, again, make the films more successful. I'm not just trying to like, you know what I mean? I'm not just trying to like, hey, queer people, you're cool, but this is going to ruin a movie. No. Do you know what else is really funny and interesting is that like sometimes a movie that is also pitched as very queer has a lot of other stuff in it. Here's a recent example that I'm thinking about. Disobedience. Right. Like that movie um, actually has like a central relationship that is heteronormative. Right. And so it's it's just interesting, I think, as a queer person 
trying to figure out as we're sort of this viable. I'm not saying I wish I hadn't seen Disobedience or whatever. I just started watching it based on like, um, you know, salacious. (laughs) It works. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Salacious uh, gossip. And um, there is some great stuff in there. And then there's also like, oh, this is like a whole other thing. Right. That actually like doesn't speak to me as much. Agree. Um, so anyway, I think it's no, because then I'm like, oh, you're out. seeking me out, but then you're gonna trick me at the end. <laughs> I'm trying not to for anyone listening. That, I'm not doing any trickery. That being said, yes. Um, I it whether or not I felt tricked into watching disobedience on that Delta flight, I was happy to see the two Rachels spit into each other's morals. And I will go on the record Wait, and say that. And they kept it on the flight? Actually, maybe I did maybe I watched it again on the plane, not having Having seen it in a different place, because now I don't remember if that existed on the in the plane. I just know viewing. it keeps coming up of like what's Which taken out is, of like. Look, I don't mean to be like I'm the boss of all things, but maybe six years ago I tweeted about how Carol had been um, edited for content, and like I wasn't even. This is like I had like just gotten to LA. I like wasn't on television yet. I had very low number of followers, right. but my friend Trish Bendix, who is a journalist, like retweeted this thing, and then she worked at the time at MTV and she wrote about it at MTV and then that got picked up at a bunch of other places and literally it was like I was on a flight I said like they edited Carol so there's no kisses on it by the time I landed oh my god and turned my phone back on this like I don't even think like phone internet existed (laughs) yet like by the time I it was um it was like the the Weinstein company way back in the day had to issue a statement holy shit good work yeah thank you did you get the kisses back in Carol for us (laughs) I just feel like um, you never know where things are going to go. It's really true. And you can have like such a small platform, but if you have people who know you who have much larger ones, things can blow up real fast. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, so you have, and this is like, this is like a day job, day job. Like this is like a 40 hours more. I didn't really mean to do this. What happened was I moved here. I was always going to be a writer, but I have, like, very, I feel like very Midwestern parents. So I was brought up, like, yeah, you can do whatever you want if you're paying your bills and you have insurance. Why do you have such Midwestern parents? Oh, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I'm from where? Outside of St. Louis. Maybe you said that even in your email, but I I don't think I did. I don't, I mean, I don't think I walk around like, I'm from St. Louis. You know, that's not your. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my, like, opening line usually. you know, a couple of Midwestern guys hanging out together. Um. Are your folks still in St. Louis? My father has passed away, so technically he is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My mother moved here after he died. Oh, really? Yeah. She loves it here. When was that? Uh, He died three years ago. She moved here two years ago after she sold the house. Well, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. It is all right. He was sick for a long time, so it was appropriate. Yeah. Is the best way I can put that. Anyone who's had a long illness in their family knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Was that for a large part of of your life while you lived? Because a decent chunk of when I lived, a lot of after I'd moved away, which is also very hard because just every time you come home, there's a person who is sicker than the last time you saw them, who cannot travel to see you, who doesn't really, who's in a lot of pain, so they can't really understand what your life is to some degree. Including, like, having this job that is like, wait, so you make the movies? No. You market them? No. You make the ad? No. You pick where the ads are? What? So. I am I have to say, I mean, I'm so impressed with you, actually. I think that's really amazing that you were able to 
um, you know, figure out what you wanted to do and do that thing with that family situation going on and then, you know, and then go back and see your family. I just think that's, it sounds really hard. It was really hard. And it's, e- yeah, it's easy to talk about now is this thing that, you know, happened in this cohesive arc. Literally every time I would go home for Christmas, I'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing? I should just move back here. What is my stupid marketing life in LA? Yeah. I could write here. It's fine. And then my mom would be like, what do you have to live for here? Like, please go back to California. Wow. So your mom was like affirming you choosing yourself. How else, yes. how else did you give yourself permission to do that? Oh, I think it was that. I think I'm lucky that I had a lot of people in my life who were like, well, are you going to really be able to help if you're there? Aren't you still going to like have to have a job and do other stuff? And also it's your dad is like, your dad's not going to get better from multiple sclerosis. Like if you're like in proximity, that's not like how the disease works. Like, oh, well, if your daughter's within a hundred miles, your symptoms and like <laughs> doesn't work that way. You know, so it's like a lot. I mean, it's just all that. Oh, it's just all that therapy shit of having to like be honest and rational with yourself. And it's still hard. Some it's I still sometimes I'm like, oh, is it terrible? I didn't live there. I'm like, no, it's not. You're fine. But yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you just said is something that, you know, I know I struggle with with my own family, I think a lot of people struggle with as we move into this. Um, well, first of all, as queerness so often means we relocate. Yes. It doesn't always, no. but it often does. And then also as we like move into this generation of folks who um, tend to like be more um, just geographically mobile than like maybe some yeah. of our parents' generations. Or well, it's one reason my mom's actually, she's been very honest with me. One reason she's so supportive is that it, it had literally never occurred to her that if you don't like where you live, you could just move. Wow. Which I think is, I mean, I don't want to generalize. It's a real Midwestern thing to think and a real thing of her generation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, in in the Midwest, if you don't live, if you don't like where you live, you move to Chicago, which is why when you're from Chicago, people are literally like, I don't get it. There aren't even other cities than this. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is the biggest the, you could get. This is the biggest one. <laughs> I remember people kept asking me, like, what if you move to L.A. and you hate it? I was like, I'll just move back or go somewhere else. Like, it, it's not permanent. Yeah. But people were really, like, kind of, like, weird about it. Well, I mean— yeah, I get that. Did actually. you have that when you moved here? Or? You know, it's a little different. It's not, here's what it's like if you're a comic. It's it's very strange. Like when I started in Chicago, literally it's like day one. Right. I've done like half an, I'm like in the middle of my first set at an open mic. Somebody's like, excuse me, I have a question. When are you moving to New York or LA? Yeah. Like it's just a question that's on everybody's lips. Um, I think partially because folks do it so often. I think people get fearful of being left behind. Yes. Um but, you know, like for my folks, um, it was heartbreaking, you mm-hmm. know, that I that I moved. And I also think they were like truly proud of me and really excited about it. Right. But I am from a place, and I've even said this before on the podcast, I'm from a place where at the end of my block, some kids that I grew up with, I mean, they're were like 40, whatever now, but some kids I grew up with bought their parents' house, tore it down, saved the bricks, rebuilt their own house with the saved bricks and that is that those are people who are like we fucking we like they we, did it on purpose we did it ourselves yeah. you know like those are people who are who felt that they were creating their own story and i and i i totally get that i just mean it's like but i can't even relate to, to it yes that. that's not it you maybe you maybe you rearrange the bricks no i was home for my house. class reunion we had like a 16 year class reunion which i still don't fully understand but you had a what? 16-year class I thought that's what you said. Yep. So Did you have a 15? Nope. <laughs> apparently they forgot. So they were like, let's do it now. 
Did you have a 10? <laughs> so there's disputing calls on this. Okay. Some people, including myself, say no. <laughs> Some people say, yes, there were four people there and it was very bad. Okay, let, so me, I'm guessing, let me ask you another question. Was there a five? No. I'm so positive So what of that. you are telling me is that it is maybe true that your first high school reunion that was organized was your 16-year high school reunion. Absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me laugh a lot. It's so weird. And I remember I had just switched to my current job at the time. And so I had to say, like, oh, could I next week I've agreed to go to my class reunion? Is it okay? Like, I know I just started. Can I take a day off? And they're like, yeah, is it your 10? I'm like, no. And they're like, is it your, f-? you know, they, like, they're like they trying to be, I don't really care about my age, but, you know, they're trying to be nice. They're like, is it your 15? I'm like, no. They're like, well, it's not your 20. I'm like, no, it's my, it's my 16. <laughs> Which is also like, the heck? Then, when you're already sort of like trying to be like, oh, I promise, like I'm from the Midwest, but I'm cultured and not from like a weird backward place. <laughs> anyway, at the 16th class reunion. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't believe how many people just like lived there, like lived like, you know, right where we grew up. I'm like, yeah. oh, I thought we we're all really itching to get very far away from this place. And it turned out not many of us. So St. Louis did not work for you. It, you know, what's funny is I was like an hour outside of St. Louis. It was a much smaller town. St. Louis is cooler than where I grew up. And now when I go back, I feel like it is even cooler but I never felt very supported as a creative person. I felt like any time I was like, I want to write, people were like, yeah, but what else do you want to do? Whereas, like, I would visit L.A. and talk about writing, and people were like, great, good for you. And everyone understood you still had to make money, but there wasn't that constant, like, well, what are you doing that's real? We all had dreams. Come on. just Sure. Yeah. What about an hour outside of St. Louis? Is that very white? It's so white. Because the other thing is that, like, there's, like, a— I don't know if it's like a full ring, but there it's like there yes. is a, there are a lot of black folks right outside of St. Louis. So yes. you so you're lived like it's like there's like a city ring of black folks drive through that. Yes. And then there's and then that's like where the, the white people suburbs are. live. <laughs> okay. And in fact, for racial reasons, racial racist reasons, the city and the county are divided. So like St. Louis City is super black and then St. Louis County is super white and suburban. Yes, it is it is a place I've been to many times that I feel, um, you know, in Chicago, I mean, it's not like there are like, oh, some places racism, but it, but it's like, it's, it's actually pretty, it's palpable there. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's a weird place, especially, you know, I'm lucky my parents are really progressive and really urged us to take advantage of there's diversity in the city and you don't have to just like only know about white people and white art, et cetera. But you know, I w- once I was 16 and could drive, I was just spending every, you know, every weekend driving into the city to, like, you know, go to the store where they sold, like, Manic Panic and Doc Martens and <laughs> all of that. And people would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you drove in this city. Like, did you see a black person? I'm like, yeah, I saw some black people. Yeah, I what mean. What are you, like, wh- what? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like, you know, that's 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 similar to where I'm from, too. Really? Well, I mean, Chicago is a very— um, racially segregated town. Yeah, very. I haven't spent a ton of time there. Be- it was like a six-hour drive. Baseball teams. That's true. One is like for for white people. Oh, I didn't realize that was a thing. For like Latinx and and black folks. Oh, I mean, God. yes, there are fans that cross over, right? But you know, it is that is the um. It's not called the audience. <laughs> 
the crowd oh, that's will so interesting. look different right. in those two stadiums. Um, and I think like, you know, that's that speaks to the experience in so many cities, but it's yeah. that's true of my hometown. And I think it's something that's like, you know, I also love where I'm from. And it's right. like, we really definitely should notice this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like I go back now and I'm like, oh, there's so many cool things. Like, especially I also think when you know you want to leave, you judge your city in a very specific way. Because oh, sure. I was always ready to, like, I was, like, one foot out the door, I think, since I was, like, 15 or 16, which is funny because then it took me, like, 10 more years to, like, actually get it together and move. But I've always just been someone who's like, I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. I'm moving. And now when I go back to visit, I'm like, there's actually a lot of cool history here. There's a lot of language yeah. stuff to look at. <laughs> actually, I totally, I totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. Real, I mean, I also just think I was real bratty. I think it makes you feel like powerful <laughs> to be like the bratty one to be like, I'm better than this shit. Well, yes. and I may not be actually. It turns out maybe a lot of it was real cool. That is, I think that's also that can also be. I mean, in my experience, that can also be like a side effect of not um, feeling accepted. Yes, right? for so sure. You don't feel accepted by the things around you. Or I, you know, when I haven't felt accepted by the things around me, then a great go to is like you know what? I actually don't even like these things. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Like that's, that's like such a good knee jerk to Well, and especially I think when you're young, young, creative and queer, I think there's a lot about sort of a typical suburban setting that's just not going to fit you. But you may not realize it's for any of those reasons. A lot of yes. it, you just may be like, why does everyone not get me? I feel like I'm so normal. That's so, that's, well, you know what's funny is like, my folks are from the suburbs and, I mean, my, my folks live in the suburbs. I'm from the suburbs. I'm from outside Chicago. And I... That is like culturally a part of me, and yes. Um, oh, also, wait, we both grew up like super Catholic too, right? Super yeah. Catholic, yeah. And it's you know, there's some stuff there that like the like I thought I thought that I was gonna then. It's just the pendulum swing of trying to figure out where you fit. You know, yes. like I moved to the city and I lived like on one of the busiest streets in Chicago, like uh, my bedroom, and I was on the first floor, and it's like there's you know cars driving. My bed is mostly an impediment for the cars that are driving past, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and now I feel like I've sort of settled somewhere in the middle where it's like, okay, well, I don't have to be, you know, it's, there's maybe something about me wondering, you know, trying to like needing to accept myself yes. if I'm like, I feel uncomfortable here, so I'll totally change my surroundings yeah. and that will solve it. Yeah. You know? Oh, I feel like every time that I start like. For a while, I could tell if I got, like, real itchy to move. I was like, so what's going on here? Because probably yeah. <laughs> moving is not the easiest solution for what's happening. And a right. lot of times it would just be like, do you need a new job? Are you yeah. bored with what you're writing? Do you right. need to maybe take a class? Yeah. <laughs> I'm back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
So talk to me about your writing career. Sure. I and started, also, as a follow-up question, how you could have a writing queer, career if you have a, a writing queer. How you could have a writing queer career. Yes. Queer queer. Um, queer queer. Queer queer? Yes. I hope this is literally just the rest of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me trying to figure out a portmanteau. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, uh, how you can have that if you have a full-time job. Ready, go. <laughs> Great. Here we go. So I always wanted to write books since I was a kid. I was always trying to write books. At a certain point, I want to say about 15 years ago, I was like, hey, maybe you should find out like really what books are and how you get them published. Because I would like <laughs> write the length of a book, but it would just be like a bunch of stuff that happened. It was not like, I mean, you've written things, you know, there has to be like an inciting incident and like some exposition. It has to build to something. It has to conclude and be exciting and not just like, oh, these people saw each other again. And then there's some other stuff happened and then, and now <laughs> it's the end. So... <laughs> I was, I moved out here. I have a marketing degree because I decided if I was going to have like, if I had to have like a way to make money, I wanted it to be interesting. And someone once told me a marketing degree was really like helpful that you could always get a job because people either did marketing or needed marketing. And literally sometimes when you're young and someone tells you something, you're like, great, check that off the list. I'm going to be a marketing major. And so I thought it would be more interesting to be an entertainment marketing person and like work on TV or film. So I moved out here. I got an assistant job at DreamWorks right away. Like I had like the easiest LA transition. Of, people are always like, it's so hard. I'm like, I mean, I believe that. It was very easy for me. I don't know what happened. And I was like an assistant. And when you're an assistant, you're so bored. You're not using your brain. You're doing a lot of just like, picking up a call and transferring it and making sure mail goes to certain people. So my brain was like teeming and I was just like, ah, every night, gonna go home and write, get up in the morning and write. And I was so, so happy to do it. And I kept at it. But in the meantime, my career just kept like going because like when you become an assistant, eventually like someone promotes you and then you maybe you get laid off for different reasons. So then you have to get a better job and you wanna make more money cause you want like a less shitty apartment. And then all of a sudden you are like the senior manager of a digital department and you're like, this was supposed to be what I did in the background while I was a famous writer. <laughs> so what's happened is I've become like fancy in the wrong place maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like never, it was not like a plan. So once I was like, oh, about, when I got my first book deal, seven, seven and a half years ago, almost eight, I got a book deal and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be a writer. And it was with a real small publisher. It was very little money. And I remember my boss was like, there's always a place for you here. I have friends who are writers. A lot of them still need to have jobs. We right. support you. And so I I will say I'm very fortunate because I have a day job that's like, we think it's so cool that you're a writer. They brag about it to like clients come in with like a film adaptation of like a book. And they're like, we have an author in the building. Go get her. Yes. Tell, her, tell them about Goodreads. I'm like, they probably know about Goodreads, but Okay. <laughs> Sure. So I'm really supported, and I think that's a big part of it. I will say the part that's hard now is my brain is not, like, bored all day. I'm actually, like, dealing with clients and, you know, being in meetings. Then I get home, and I feel real, like, soft and squishy in my brain. And so it's a mu it's much more I have to treat it like another job. I have to, like, carve out time. Like, I'm going to sit in a coffee shop. I'm, I'm going to write. I'm going to use – if I'm slow at work, I'm going to carve out my lunch break to, you know – eat a burrito while I'm also typing about like a cute young adult scene. So <laughs> I actually, I really, um, well, also you could just say no to this or we could edit it out. Okay. But I'm curious um, if you would 
I'm I have no idea I have no idea if this is too personal. So you can just set your own boundary. Okay. Um I'm curious if you would because I don't think we actually talk about this very much as humans. So you got your first book deal. You don't you like are an I'm assuming like unknown author at that right. time. You're talking about little money. Would you are you comfortable saying how much money? Yes. And I promise you will all be shocked. Because it was. I do not think I will be shocked. It was $200. I am shocked. Yeah. No, it was such a small press. And they were basically like, we don't give advances. And my agent was like, you have to give her something. And so they gave me $200. And I was like, I had already like, I like had an essay published once. That was more money. Mm-hmm. I had once gotten a kill fee because a project I'd been involved with got canceled and they paid me $750. A kill fee is when they don't run your thing. Right. And then they but pay you already you did the work. To not run yes. the thing. Yes. Yes. And so I was like, I got paid. I didn't know if people might thought you were a contract killer. Oh, yeah. Like, I once it got a kill fee for oh, $750, throw, and that was when I murdered someone. I have um, thrown anyway. that phrase around casually before. I should start <laughs> just following it Not up. Not necessarily. In like a marketing environment, probably people know what yeah, you Yeah, I think some people do, but you're right. Maybe the general public, that sounds terrifying. They're like, oh, so she also got paid to murder someone, and it's $750 is her amount. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was really like... Wait, so I made more money being stopped writing right. than writing. No, it was really small. I I really appreciate you sharing that because I don't think that we have realistic no. understanding. Like I really thought, oh, I'm going to get a book deal and I'm going to get a house and I'm going to just, everything's going to change. And then, you know, by the time my agent takes a fee and my taxes are, it's like, well... It's like an extra, like probably the celebration meal I had on getting a book deal was the price of that book. <laughs> and even if it is like something that seems on paper to be more substantial, yes. I think that it's also, you know, I just I just wrote my first book and Congratulations. Thank you. And that is something that you know, it's like when if you could do the um per hour analysis, oh. you would you would lose your mind. It's because even if it's a terrible. even if it is something yes. that feels more reasonable, like the like you get the thing and you go, Oh, this is reasonable for yes. if I was writing this today. Like if if this was if this was my pay for like if you if you had gotten two hundred dollars and it was like and it's for your lunch break. Yes. You know, that great. Would, you'd be like, wow, you know, but, what a steal. <laughs> yeah. No, because but it's I've, a lot of work. <laughs> I'm on my sixth book now. Most of them have been with larger pub all of them have been with larger publishers than that. And even so, like you said, like you get the first installment like two years before the book comes out. Your agent's taking apart. There's no taxes being processed on it yet. Yep. And then you get usually like sometimes you get then a third when you turn it in, and then you get some when it comes out. And these payments on their own are kind of sad. Yeah. Even yeah. even if you get way more than two hundred dollars for yes, it. Yes, exactly. I, I think I think it's just an interesting thing, like especially when you're. Um, you know, like somebody from a marginalized community, it's like, we want more queer stories. Yes. You know, we want them to be more realistic. We want them to well, be better. Well, if it better. makes you feel better, that $200 book was heterosexual. So Okay, that actually does make well, me feel better. Well, I mean, I wrote it, so it's, there's heterosexual people in it, but I don't want to. <laughs> I think it's, no, that doesn't make, I think what I'm talking about is like, you know, when we, when we are talking about breaking into an industry, um, you know, I'm mentioning all this because it really does matter, yes. like to support queer books and things like that. Because, Absolutely, because the those authors are like people are taking chances on us. Basically, like people are taking chances. My first, nobody's making any fucking money. <laughs> yeah, my first queer book came out uh, 2018, 
And I went with a smaller publisher again because it kind of felt like the bigger publishers were a little nervous about it. I got a lot of, like, you don't get rejections that are like, it's gay. You get rejections that are like, mm, not sure it's relatable for readers, which means gay. It's gay, yes. <laughs> and that book was also fat. And I think that was a lot for people. At one, they're like, this girl is gay and fat and she's just fine with all of it. Like, I felt like that reaction was was in the, like, unspoken text of not relatable. Wow. It's also my guess. Maybe they're just like, we hate your writing. There's Wait, all, you never know. Can you talk to me about the book you have coming out? Yes. Soon. Yeah. My, my new book is called We Used to Be Friends. It's about a friendship breakup because I think friendship breakups are terrible and soul-destroying. And we don't, I think as a society, we're pretty good about shepherding people through a romantic breakup. Like there's sort of like a script for it. Like, oh, let's, do you need a drink? Do you need ice cream or chocolate? Do you want to like <laughs> listen to this song? Um, and for rom- for friend breakups, I feel like people are like, oh, that's a bummer. Anyway, and I'm like, I just had a fight with someone who I've known for 15 years, who I thought I would know for the rest of my life who's my person when I do have a romantic breakup or anything else. And now they're not in my life. That's To me, that's huge. And so I really wanted to write a book about girls going through that and how really hard it can be. But I also, it's in two points of view because I also like, I don't usually think there's like a villain and a good guy in it. I think like Mm. it's just really hard to be a human. And then when you're trying to be a human and another person's trying to be a human – it just doesn't always line up very well, especially my book set senior year of high school. And when you're like getting ready to see like what's next in life, where you're heading, and also maybe realizing priorities are different, like who even are you? So yeah, that's what I'm. I really what I'm writing about. I really love that, and I I totally agree with you that the um, you know that the that we really don't talk about how. Like friend break- breakups, also even just like shifting groups of friends, yes. really. Like that's something that going through a divorce, I did not really anticipate is that it affects your circles of friends yeah. in a massive way. Ugh. I didn't know that. <laughs> I That is hard. I am not divorced, but I've had friends divorce and it's weird sometimes because you're like, hard for. can I talk to that person now? Is and it the answer bad? is uh, no, never. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's complicated. Like, yeah. these things are really complicated. And um, especially in the queer world where everything is collapsed in on itself. Yeah. And like a star scooting back into a black hole. Well, where sure. we're all just getting closer and closer together. But um, in this in this specific book, um, there is a straight character and a queer character. There is a straight character and a queer character. And my queer character does realize she's bisexual very early in the book. So... I I did not set out to write another. I was like, I wrote one queer book and that was a hard sell. Keep this one straight. And that did not. I don't, I think all the books are going to be queer now moving forward. I had such a joyous experience writing a queer book and reader feedback was like nothing I've ever had before. And going to do like visits where I meet like queer teens. It's, it's, oh my God, it's the best thing of my life. So uh, also I just really want to write cute queer books. It's really fun. So, yeah, uh, there's a queer romance in it. So I'm like, this book sounds so sad because it's like this friend breakup. They're like one girl is like recovering from her mom died a couple years ago, once going through her parents' divorce. And I'm like, no, but also there's a lot of romance. There's a lot of kissing and some real dumb jokes. I promise. It's still like all the things you've come to know and love about my books, I hope. 
Wait, but here's something I want to ask that I wonder if ever has a- has been asked before. Um, how do you how do you write straight people? How the fuck do you know how to write from a straight perspective? Well, I will say, you know what's really funny is I feel like my first queer book was like super like people liked it more. And I was like, oh, maybe because because like I'm bi, I like guys also, even though a lot of people are like, why? I'm like, no, that's. I had a woman ask me if it was like a phase. I was like, no, I'm like 40-something. Was this an adult woman? Yes, an adult woman asked me if I was like, she's like, was that a phase in college? I'm like, no, it's now. And she's like, why? I'm like, it's a valid identity. Leave me anyway. It is a valid identity. But um, it is really funny because like looking back on it, um, I'm like, oh, yeah. Even though I think one thing I personally wrestled with, which I've had the same exact same conversation with a lot of other bi women, is that. For a long time, I was sort of like, well, first of all, it took me a long time to realize I was bi because I think society's very weird about bisexuality. And when I was growing up, I feel I feel like, and people are going to hear this and be my age and be like, that's not how I heard about it. I'm like, just for me, the way I heard about bisexuality, it was like a thing for like cool slutty people. And as just like an awkward like person who liked to read a lot and stay indoors, I was like, well, that's for like people who go out and do fun stuff. Clearly not me. I, I think actually that I would say that that like stereotype, you know, still exists. I think it still does. And I was not seeing like examples. Of, I mean, you barely saw. I don't know if I saw many gay examples at all in pop culture in the early mid 90s. Definitely not cool bisexual people that I could like relate to. So for a long time, yeah. I was just like, well, I think it's pretty normal to like girls a little, but you're totally straight. And of course, then I got older was like, that's literally just bisexuality yeah that and maybe is, it's more than a little right um, <laughs> but I think a lot of I, I think a lot of people my age went through that to some degree there's a lot of sort of like well hearing that oh well if you're gay it's like it's not it's not a choice you feel this no matter what and I'm like well I feel it sometimes so what does that make me <laughs> like it just was very confusing so I think in my head I was I was like well I know what it's like to be straight because I know what it's like to be attracted to guys so I can write, a, but I'm like, but that's not straight. But it's not straight <laughs> when it's, you have this whole, so um, I don't know. To some degree, I'm like, I don't know. I hope people like those books. A <laughs> queer person wrote them. <laughs> well, I will say we're inundated with heterosexual culture all over. So I think I can do a good, I also do feel though that like all the, all the boys in my book that are like love interest are just like, you know, these soft little like musical theater loving, like, you know, volunteering, like just these very like delicate, soft little boys. And I'm like, I just don't get why people don't love my love interest. I'm like, oh, cause <laughs> I'm reading. Just, they're just in a different, maybe slight, like the gender of it all is still real. Cool. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean. I'm reading, um, Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney right now. I've heard really good things about it. Um, it's it's definitely, it is very well written, and there's a very well written like straight male character in it, um, and it is like funny to me to read it, or because it's like right. I I I I I really am like this. I think this is a man, you know. But like it's, I just <laughs> it because it's very. It's like a book that has a lot of um, sex in it, and it also is about relationships, right? And I think strikes me as like pretty realistic, you know, as opposed to something like going to see a movie where it's like it's all heightened and like this other thing anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's still a heightened version of some, but it seems it seems closer to reality, and so it's very interesting to 
I mean, it's not like I don't consume straight media all the time. I'm consuming straight, but it's funny to read something that you're like, oh, this, I think this is really true. But then I'm like, but I might be. How do I know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. There is a, there's an, I will give you this advice as your first book is about to come out. Shouldn't read all your user reviews. It will just lead you down dangerous paths. Oh, sure. Paths. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there's an, a user review on Amazon of my fourth book, which is, um, well, there are lesbian moms in it, which, well, queer moms in it, which I like. But, the you know, it's a boy-girl romance. And someone left a, a review that was like, I really just kept hoping she would fall for her rival instead, who's a girl. And I was like... <laughs> Oh, no, I accidentally made this book queer. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I probably did that on accident. I'm sorry. That's really funny. I like queered up my own book just like (laughs) in the background and no one caught it. (laughs) Except some lovely queer Amazon user. (laughs) Thank you, person. Well, yeah, I mean, our, our identity... We cannot see outside of our own lens. No. It doesn't mean we can't we can't use our imagination. Yeah. And we can't do research and stuff. But it just is like we're we just are who we are. Yeah. And I honestly think had I had a I mean, we're all trying to understand ourselves better. We're all trying to I assume trying to understand our identity better, et cetera. And I think for so long I did under I did think of bisexuality as this like half straight thing. And I was like, I can I can write these these romances. And now I'm like, no, I'm all queer. Like, this is this is not what bisexuality is. But I think that's a constant conversation. I think I'm also lucky that a lot of us started having these conversations at the same time. And it's made me understand myself better. But it's also just made me much more comfortable about how I write things and how I don't. And yeah, half this book is straight. But <laughs> that character is so not like me in so many other ways. She's like the, she's like the introverted, thoughtful, like quiet, like waiting to say something person. And so I already had to like, that was so much harder for me to write. Yeah, to use than, your like, imagination. Straightness. Yeah, sure. And then I gave her like such a good boyfriend. So I was like, <laughs> I'd fall for him. It's fine. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I don't know, actually. I would be curious to hear from listeners. I, I feel like my, I know a lot of bi people who are who seem to like be so in self acceptance that I don't actually know what it's like out there, you know. And the like, if you're a bi listener, I'd love to hear because I feel like the messaging that I was getting um, was like bisexuality is a stop on the road to yes. gay town. Like it was, it was actually part of a, a timeline. Like it, it wasn't just that it was like between yeah. two things. But that it was part of a progression, and I think a lot of that is um, when folks really felt like they couldn't come out at all, bisexuality, and specifically for, like, men was a great way of testing the waters by being like, I'm bi, I have a boyfriend, but that's not who I am kind of a thing. Um, You know, and so I, I think we've evolved past that, but I don't know. I still, you know, it's funny, a friend of mine who's about the same age said back in the 90s, you were gay, straight, or lying was how you were treated. Yes. And I think that's so true. And I... Wow. And I was... I mean, it was confusing to me because I'm like, I know how I feel, but I'm being told this other thing. And I mean, luckily, I think there's just a lot of really amazing bi people making a lot of noise out there and being like, this is what identity is. It doesn't have to be this one thing or this other thing. And it's certainly not made up. Right. And I also just think having... 
you know, living in Los Angeles, if I think it's, for me, it's almost hard. Like, somebody was joking, like, how many friends do I have that aren't queer? Like, just so many, you know, I feel like I have such a good chosen family of friends, many of whom are queer. And when we, when you can have these, like, conversations face-to-face and out loud and talk through a lot of, like, well, I used to think this, and then I did this, and then I learned this, it just, I think a lot of it is really much clearer for a lot of us then. It's even no matter what your identity is, when you can talk to other people and you're like, okay, cool. So it's definitely not that, but it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, that's 100% true. And it's also, it's like that thing of, it's not that, but not that. I'm also thinking about the like, I mean, maybe this is like, maybe this is too offensive for me to actually talk about, but I I might say it anyway, um, which is, do you know what I'm talking about if I'm talking about that like one drop? Yeah. Of. Yes. Yeah. So like that is uh, some very racist thinking yeah. uh, that did exist and still does exist Unfortunately, yeah. in this country about like if you're not like purely white, if you had like one drop of, uh, I think it was, you know, specifically for, of black, for black I folks. think it was, yeah. But um, I also, first of all, just want to comment on how people really understood how like babies work, which is that there's like a, there's like a certain, you're filling, like people the, you're aren't filling dropping them together, you're filling the, you're filling the baby with blood <laughs> and you adjust. And you pick each drop yeah. on its own. <laughs> you pick each drop. Um, but, but it's, you know, I still think that we, you know, we talk about like, we still talk about racial identity that way, erasing biracial folks. We still talk about sexuality that way, erasing, um, a friend said something to me really interesting recently, which was that we we tend to, by we I mean society, I don't mean us, we're great, but society tends to define sexuality by relationships with men. So if That's you're right. <laughs> a man who has sex with men, you're gay, even if you also have sex with women, if you're, or I should just say attracted to, I don't want to make it about, you know, there are many married people who don't, many monogamous people who are not out having sex with other genders who are still queer, just making that clear to people. But then if a woman is mainly attracted to women, also attracted to men, it's like, oh, well, she must be bi or straight and just doing it for attention. Because clearly the man is the important thing to define this by. And I, a friend said this a few weeks ago, and I cannot stop thinking about it. Sure. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, do you think, and this is what I'm, like, are you suggesting that as a culture we center Maleness. I, I know it's a weird like limb to go out me, on. Give me, give me twelve examples <laughs> of when this has been true. Um, I mean, I literally had someone say to me, they were like, "Oh, this person I know, this person we both knew, she was married to a man, and then we found out she was getting married again, and it was to a woman." And he's like, "I guess she's gay now." I was just like, "Or bisexuality exists?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I'm like. I, a bisexual person, am saying it, like, this is what it looks like. Yeah. And yet it still was just this, like, well, gay now. I'm like, no. So what is it like? Here's a question that I, so a lot of times when I've had guests on who identified as bi, I'm just realizing as we're talking about this, they have mostly been actors or people, like, who worked in a creative field, right. like their show creator or something. It's like folks who maybe don't have to do a ton of, like they don't have like a standard group of coworkers that have right. like a PR department. So when you're at your office, are you out to your coworkers as 
like queer? Are you out to them specifically as bi? So Did they know any of this information about I you? I don't think so for a long time. And then when my last book came out, entertainmentweekly.com did a story about it and about me and about, like, I t- the subplot was about the best burger in Los Angeles. So I, like, taste tested burgers with uh, a journalist and it was amazing. And my boss, I think, was proud of it. So he put it on our company blog. And I was like, all right, there we go. And I mean, I wear this jacket and have this haircut every day. But yeah, I definitely, I, I was at a company party earlier this year, late last year. And one of my coworkers, he said, like, I'm the only gay one at this whole company. And I said, well, I'm bi. And he's like, what? Wow. And he's an older man, so maybe he doesn't. I just feel like I look pretty not straight. But yeah, I mean, we got some signifiers going on. <laughs> I'm, but but I'm also like, oh, I probably have some signifiers to other people who are queer of my age, not necessarily a 60-something-year-old man. That is funny. So yeah, so I think I'm, and then I was just, I also felt like everyone was really nice about it. Mm. And so I was like, cool, I'm just going to, because I was like, when I had the queer book coming out, I was like, oh, am I going to have to have a bunch of weird conversations? No, it was actually very, I mean, it's Los Angeles. It's the entertainment industry. I'm fortunate that way. Yeah. I think I was just imagining like in a more corporate setting, the idea of like going to some holiday party with your boyfriend and then like, you know, two years later yeah. going with your girlfriend and how strange that would be for, I'm sure there are listeners that this is their experience because I just don't think that these conversations are happening like in a way where, um, say corporate America understands how to roll with this. Oh, like, and know, I'm sure if that happened, there would still be plenty of people behind my back being like, what's going on now with Amy? <laughs> You mean people talk about us behind our backs? No, not you. Not me. Just me. Just you? <laughs> um, okay. So I want to know how you balance, because also the, the other thing that is, that is true um, is that when, a, you know, when you have a book launching, you have to spend a ton of time, you're talking about this burger interview, you have to spend a ton of time like yes. promoting that thing. Yeah, I'm taking a, I'm using a half day vacation day to be here today. Wow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, And is that just, is it, is it good planning? Like, how is it that you are able to merge these two things? It's a lot of keeping my Google calendar, like, real tight. It's, you know, using my lunch break to send, like, emails to you, et cetera. It's, I'm also very fortunate, I will say, majoring in marketing. I didn't realize how I was going to do that for my, like, I think I still had the old idea of being an author where you just write books and then like a team does this for you. Like I'm setting up so much of my own promo, et cetera. And because I do this for a living for movies, like I can handle myself. So that helps a lot too. That does help. That does seem like it It's like helps. this weird superpower of like, oh yeah, I took a bunch of publicity classes. I can bang out a press release if I need to. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a lot of planning and holding myself to it. Yes. And sometimes just like, for the next few weeks, I'm like, this is just what I'm doing. But it's, I mean, you, you've you had things where you spend weeks doing promo. And oh, that's yeah. just, you know, it's just part of the job now. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I am somebody who really, I don't have a one fixed job the same way that you do, but I have a very um, complicated schedule. Right. And, um, you know, I just think it's like, I'm sure, again, I'm thinking about listeners who probably have creative pursuits that they want to um, pursue and they 
and that that can't be their full right bread and butter. That was certainly how I started. You know, it's like I think it's how most people start. I mean, especially if you want to live in a being big city funded or yeah, by like the Medici family or like by your own family. Um, yes, like then you're then that's what's happening for you. And for me, it was you know for a while like I did have a more um, normative job, like a you know nine to five thing and and stuff afterward. Um, but I think also that that is a skill. You know, it's tough like that, but it's a skill that follows you for the rest of your life because I think, you know, much like you're talking about this, like here's the check that you get and it's not that giant. If it's not a house buying check, you know, nothing is like really a house buying check. No. Uh, or not very yet. few things We're are working a, toward are a house buying check. Yeah. Well, for all people, though. Oh, exactly. You know, like yes. for all people. So we're all kind of, I think – um, on this hustle of trying to figure out like what um what works for us today. And if well, you're if you're a young creative and you're like, well, how do I get to the how do I get to yeah. the other side of the finish line where everything is easy? I guess that what I'm saying is these skills that you're building right now will serve you. It will make it easier because this is it, it's, maybe. It's it it's it forever. It's really tough forever. And it's also really exciting and fun and it's great to have so many things going on. And it's Absolutely. also you know, there's no finish line. No, I had a, I was on a panel at the Festival of Books, the LA Times one a few years ago, and a man said like, when were you all able to quit your day jobs and become real writers? And I said, sir, I have a day job. Do you think I'm a real writer? And he was like, oh, yes. And I was like, great. Now you all know I have a day job. The city's expensive. Yeah. It costs a lot to live here. I have student loan debts. This is maybe my life. And Everyone else was like, good answer. Thanks. It was, but I'm like, I'm a really big believer in like demystifying this whole, like, I don't want to appear like a fancy author who's just like living some, I'm like, no, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of like juggling other stuff, but it is doable. I promise. Like, I don't want people to give up because they can't, like, they can't have it exactly how it looks on, you know, at the end of the, you know, whatever they're picturing as their goal. It's not necessarily going to look like that, but you could still get it. I mean, what I'm picturing is when Jenny wrote Les Girls <laughs> in the first go-round of the L Word. Yeah. And then it became a television series. Definitely what is exactly is going to happen for me, Wait, I'm sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, wow. This has been such a great conversation. I really love talking with you. Thank you, you for making some time and Thanks taking a half day. Thanks for having me. Before I send you back into your uh, – are you going back to the office? No, no. Bye. Going I told them. To my I'm like, I have a to thing to do. Yeah, he said it. <laughs> um, okay, I would like to ask you to shout out a queero. Yeah, somebody that a person, place, or thing made you feel like you could be who you are today. I'm going to talk about a place. Yeah, cool. So there's this real cool coffee shop in St. Louis called Mocha Bees. It's real queer. It used to be. I feel no. It, it was. It was just. When I started going there, it was like the mid-90s, I went to this uh, gay straight alliance. No, it's just a gay youth group. I don't know. Uh, they were always like, it's okay, you're straight. And I'm like, okay. Like in my my brain, I'm just oh like, oh my God. No, what? The, the gay kids think I'm straight. Maybe I am. I don't know. Anyway, I went to, I went, they should have known I was going to the youth group every week. That's really not what straight people do. Uh, anyway, there's this really cool gay coffee shop that was like a few blocks from where we met. And it was open like bar hours. And, you know, before you're 21, there's so it's very hard to like go hang out at night because you can't get into a bar. But also like a lot of restaurants close around 10, 11. And so this place was open till one in the morning. And it was 
And so also like a lot of older people would go like on their way homes from bars. So it was just like all ages. It was in St. Louis City proper. So it was not, it was probably pretty white. But as I remember it, it was very diverse. You know, people of all genders, people of all ages, and real, very gay, very queer, um, really good jukebox. And just like, it felt, it was like a bar without alcohol, basically. And it's still open. It's a little like... It's a little nicer now. It was real, like, it felt very, like, you know, punk rock in the mid-90s. And now they've, like, when I go back and visit, they've, like, expanded. And, you know, they have a Sunday vegan brunch now. Wow. But, I, I love that. And I remember when, um, speaking of St. Louis and racism, when the Ferguson protests were going on, they were, the cops were getting mad at them because they kept letting uh, protesters come inside and, like, get water and be taken care of. And if they got, like, tear gas, they would, like give them milk or, you know, whatever you do for tear gas in people's eyes. So they were, they're not just, you know, they're, they're not just about like queer rights in this very specific way. They're about like marginalized groups. They're about helping people. So I love that place. I always, anytime I'm in St. Louis, I always make a habit of going by to get coffee. Mocha bees? Mocha bees. That's so awesome. It is so important to have um, all ages spaces and also like, you know, sober spaces. Yeah. Um, Which I did. I mean, at the time, I think we're all just like, well, when we're 21, we're not doing this anymore. But now totally. I'm like, oh, God, it's so nice to have a place to go that's not a bar. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. Um, and I, I love uh, also the idea that you like, I don't I don't think that's what that's called most places anymore. The great gay straight alliance. What is it called now? It's like the it's like the gender and whatever. Yeah. It's but um, I also love the idea that. That title, even though it might no longer fit, I love the idea that that like created enough space for you yes. to feel like you could go well, there without I will say, picking like a girl a invited me to it, and I thought I was getting like an invitation. You know what I mean? Sure. I thought I was like getting an invitation, and I was like, she knows this is great. I can ease into this identity and figure out what I am. And then she introduced me to everyone. Like she's straight. Don't like leave her alone. She's straight, but we accept her because I don't know. I feel like you're a little younger than me, but I feel like there used to be a big thing about like gay people were trying to convert straight people. That was like a big like stereotype. So I think they were like, no, no, don't think that we're not trying to convert you. And I was like, guys, I'm here because I want to be converted. (laughs) So then I was like in this weird, uneasy relationship with like knowing I was a lot queerer than the queer kids thought I was. It's just real weird. Anyway, I'm sure none of them are surprised I'm on this podcast today, <laughs> if they're listening. Well, it is a real pleasure to talk to you. It, it has been a real pleasure Thank to Thank you talk so much. Today. You too. Yeah, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. 